Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Thank you for those who are joining me live today. Let's see what is the what is the date the secular date oh it's thursday january 11th as we are doing this live show so many of you are listening to it on podcast so we like to give you the skinny early on so that you can kind of juxtapose the current events to the time that you are listening to our program let us first say Hi, welcome to those who are listening in live from the U.S. I know that on the West Coast, it's 9 p.m. and it's midnight in New York. So call a kavod to you. Canada, same thing. Canada's with us. Always makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Boketov Eretz Israel. A rainy day, a wet day. Let's daven for our, the strength and the comfort and the, the continuing resolve of our holy Chayalim, and let them let the weather not make them any more uncomfortable than they need to be. Jamaica is with us today. I'm very, very happy. Nigeria again with us. Singapore and the Netherlands. And anybody else popping in live today, I will share that with you. Received a lot of mail this week. Beautiful letters. I, I if I haven't answered you yet. Um, Please remind me. Uh, don't remind me. I know it. I have a list, and I will get back to you because even the the shortest notes where you talked about you talked about the show and certain things that uh, issues that I raised, and I was interested in your opinions. And we got these notes, and it was just really, really lovely. Also, last week I mentioned, and I'm saying it now at the show, there is a wonderful news source let me just see what it's called it's called israel news highlights i'm a subscriber because from the beginning of the war until i found this wonderful bullet point news uh outlet like so many of you who are listening in i would check the news all day long was walking into walls completely unnerved, allowing those who do not love us, who do not care about us, to let our narrative provide entertainment for their masses. And I was going crazy, and then I discovered this. So if you are interested, drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, and I will send you the link to Israel News Highlights. And they send out memos literally three times a day, which means you do not have to check CNN, Fox, Sky News, any of that other crapola. You don't have to check online. You don't have to look at the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, the New York Times, or any of those other non-Israel-loving um, um, entities. You just get this. I will send you the link, and you can thank me later, okay? Don't need cash, just toss me a bracha. Okay. Um, it's hard. They call. Actually, I'm getting fewer and fewer calls from overseas. Nobody really wants to talk to us because, because it's scary. It's sad. It's complex. And there's a real comfort here, a camaraderie that I have discovered among the Israelis, the shoulder-to-shoulder Israelis who are living this really unprecedented experience, certainly in modern Israel, and we're sharing it together. And so we smile, and we say, how are you? And we're into this, what, we're more than 90 days into it now. And we say, fine, fine, fine. You know, we used to try to come up with more depth to our responses. Um, well, you know, I'm hanging in there, or it's very difficult, or my resilience is good today. Um, we're coping. Uh, today's not a good day. And we're kind of into, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Because fine is new. It's a new fine. We're in pain, but it's amazing 
how much pain one can live with, the weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, of grief that people can continue to live in, to live under. There is not a family in Israel. I, 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 I'm challenged. I mean, I, I, def- I question, write me a note. If you are a family living in Israel who is completely unaffected by this war that has been imposed upon us, if you do not know one family that if they themselves are not sitting shiver, they have a sibling, a brother, someone who is in mourning, fine is conditional. And so often, many of the letters that I have received, a couple of letters, a couple of Facebook messages, even some people, I don't know how they got my WhatsApp information. That's kind of interesting. But what can we do? What can we do? And that's not today's program. Uh, drop me a note. I'm in the middle of putting the what we can do uh, list together. But one of the things that I have undertaken is to kind of fulfill a promise to myself. And that's a little, it's a little thing. It's very, very personal. For years, my husband has said to me, I'm just looking here at my shelf. Hold on a second. What do you mean? You never read any Viktor Frankl? You, a life coach? You, a podcaster? You, a devout Zionist and Torah observant Jew, never read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? And cheapishly, I would say, I'm getting to it. It's on my list. No, 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 I'm going to do it. But I really want to give it the time. So, this week, I rose to the challenge. I said to myself, well, I certainly, why am I immersing myself in something depressing now? We have enough depression around. And yet, you try to watch a television movie You try to watch something interesting. You try to distract yourself. I don't know about you guys. I find myself awash with guilt, sadness, but more than that, a feeling of missed opportunity. So this week I began reading Man's Search for Meaning. When I say it's not a very thick book and it's not a difficult read in in terms of linguistics. You can only take a couple of pages at a time out of respect, out of respect for the material. So I I really urge you to find yourself a copy, go online, find a used copy. It's been in print since 1959. Um, Interesting. I, I find always those little pages interesting. It was put out by Beacon Press in Boston, 25, uh, Beacon Street in Boston, which actually is an arm of the Unitarian Church. I just found that interesting. But anyway, the introduction to the book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Wait a second, I want to segue. I just want to say one thing. Very often in my experiences, I remember meeting with two psychotherapists who said to me that my outlook in life was far more frankal and far less Freud. And I nodded my head knowingly, as though I really understood what they were talking about. But now I get it. And um, we'll talk more about that. But the experiences of Viktor Frankl in Auschwitz um, actually reinforced for me what his key ideas were. You know, so often I have heard, and I've heard Rabbeim, I've heard my my Rebetzins say that the real quest in life, what man is looking for in life, he's looking for respect. We've heard people say from the Hollywood community or from the uh, the secular 
um, intellectual. Oh, man is searching for love. He can't do enough what he will do for love. We know a chorus line. Bob Fosse had a lot to say about it, what I did for love. But according to Frankel, what man is really looking for is meaning, meaning in his life. Not um, Sigmund Freud, who felt that it was a quest for pleasure, that man was, was at base a hedonist and would do anything he could to um, feed those hedonistic desires. And God knows anybody reading the American newspapers knows one of our greatest shames is splashed all over that with new revelations of a Jew who is the, 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 the archetypical hedonite, really shameful stuff out there, not according to Frankel. And then, of course, there's Alfred Adler who said, man wants power. He will do anything for power. And apparently Frankel dissuades us because, I mean, there's just no end. What do you do when you get the ultimate power? And there are those of us who power is not even a pipe dream. What would I do with power? Where would I start? What store do you get it in? But his idea that the main purpose in life is to seek meaning, to look for depth, whether in work doing something that will make the world a better place, um, in love, caring for another person, making a difference in the life of another human being, and also finding courage in difficult times. This last point of Frankel's positively paralyzes me, but not it paralyzes me with a desire to mold it, manipulate it, understand it, play with it like some kind of Play-Doh until it seeps into my very belly. I think about the kind of chizuk, the kind of strength that our beautiful, brilliant and holy soldiers find in the presence of one another the incredible achtut, brotherhood, and the determination to reach great moral heights in this bastardly endeavor that we've been sucked into. According to Frankel, suffering in and of itself is meaningless. There's no bracha, there's no blessing in suffering. Um, but our suffering can indeed find meaning in the manner in which we respond to it. I, I hope that my words, I'm, <laughs> I hope I'm doing honor to what I'm learning and sharing with you. Um, indeed, the word awe comes a little bit close to what I am feeling from this prevalent insight, Frankel's insights, that there are forces that are indeed beyond our control. And they can take away everything that we materially possess. But what can never be taken away from us and if you haven't caught on before now, please know that I and this show do indeed have an agenda, and it's an agenda for everyone listening to live their most authentic lives, for every Jew who's listening in, to know that wherever you are listening in from now, if you are not in Eretz Yisrael, you are indeed living a facsimile of the life that you were born for. We have a freedom to choose how we will respond to our situations. As Frankel says, you cannot control what happens to you in life, but you can 
always control what you will feel and do about it when it indeed happens to you. Okay, we like to share, <laughs> share what I'm up to. Okay, um, any questions? Drop me a note. So, came across this quote by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. You all know that I am a, of blessed memory. He was nifter, what is it now, already three years? Um, in his book, Not in God's Name, if you want to see the exact quote on page 265, here, here it is. Here's your answer. Quote, no soul was ever saved by hate. No truth was ever proved by violence. No redemption was ever brought by holy war. No religion won the admiration of the world by its capacity to inflict suffering on its enemies. Despite the fact that these things have been endorsed in their time by sincere religious believers, they are a travesty of faith. And until we learn this, religion will remain one of the great threats to the peace of the world. Okay. I don't know if I should call this the clueless department. The clueless of, what is it? Dr. Phil once referred to somebody. I loved it. I've actually used this. He said it was dumb as a box of rocks. Dumb, of, dumb as a box of rocks. Um, read an article last night, and if you know, if you know Shlomi, Apologize to Shlomi that I'm using him as an example. But it's one of the rip my hairs out of my head moments. And understand, I've made my trip reservations to please God be Pesach in America. I've made my reservations for my next visit to South Africa. And I'm learning. I'm learning to sit at the Seder table. In Galut... In the diaspora, while we have been given the most incredible gift based on God's promise, not a surprise, a promise. Glorious Eretz Yisrael waiting for us with her beautiful weather and her warmth and her laughter and her vibrancy and her moral justification. So I'm working on that silence thing as I sit at Galut Seders and go to Galus Shul Synagogue Services. And here we have, I think it was sometime this week, I don't have the date. Oh, let's see. Oh, yeah, no, no, the date it actually happened on the 22nd of November. Oh, we're like a month and a half after this. But apparently a, an arrest was made that on November 22nd, a Brooklyn man, clearly an observant Jew, dressed in his Jewish garb, um, was attacked by a man riding a bicycle. The fellow's name was Mohammed Habachi. I'm not going to say, well, duh. Um, and threw a rock, injured a father of six, a 47-year-old dad of six, um, injured him while screaming, I think, free Palestine, uh, a version of screw the Jews, things like that. And the news of the bust came as a big relief for the victim who asked the reporter not to identify, but call him by his first name, Shloimi. So anyway, so Shloimi says that he's relieved that a man like that is off the street and he was leaving his job. All right. Interesting stuff, right? Right. Hold on. Where is my uh, yeah. Right. That's not, it's not the point. It's not new. Big deal. But the response, he says, he says, I'm an Orthodox Jew. And when I see someone chants that and throws a rock at me, it's an anti-Semitic hate assault in this beautiful free country we are living. He definitely targeted me. 
In fact, there were other people standing in the vicinity. They were not Jews, and he wasn't doing anything to them. And then the final quote he says is, it's just scary what's happening. Shlaimi says, adding that the rise in such crime had left him feeling very unsafe. And so the article goes on to tell us that the attacker is given a 1500 cash bail, $10,000 bond. He was arranged on Wednesday. Ba, 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 ba. What do you think about it, Schleimy? You're feeling unsafe. America has been wonderful to the Jews. I am a product. Well, I don't know what that really means, but... I and my family and those I love are products of the wonderful warmth and grace that the United States of America offered at the turn of the 20th century when there was nowhere else to go. It's over. The host is tired. Other guests have arrived and want your seat. And you have somewhere else to go. Does the fine really matter? Has one person, let's, let's make this even more Jewish, okay? So lest, lest those think that I'm only targeting non-Jews who are making life increasingly uncomfortable for proud American Jewish citizens. Has any person become observant, religiously observant in Israel from having rocks thrown at them and hearing the word Shabbos shouted out repeatedly? The fine doesn't matter. Stop being clueless willful blindness the emperor is naked and you have sources like Israel and so many others that are shouting in the voice of the little boy saying look look why won't you see I see that live on our show, Austria has joined us this morning, as has India. Good morning. Um, I've quoted before Elyon Levy. He really is Levy Levy. I think he probably calls his name Levy. He's an Israeli government spokesman. He really is the darling of the hour, certainly worth following. He tells a story this week, and it's a story that so many of us, we've all heard wonderful stories about the late, great, indeed flawed Golda Meir. But this is one um, that absolutely applies to today. I think so. Oh, Ireland's with us as well. Very nice. Golda Meir is on the phone Recorded, documented, this was a conversation she had with Henry Kissinger, whose history is still very much being written. And Kissinger, this is, uh, he's putting terrible pressure on her. Well, that's nothing new, is it? Is it, those of us who are living during these times of the Biden administration? So Golda Meir tells him a story of how she used to hide and her family used to hide from the pogroms in Russia. And before ending the conversation, she tells him angrily, I'm not that little girl hiding in the closet. Elyon Levy says it beautifully, says it very succinctly. We are not that little girl hiding anymore, we in Israel. When genocidal monsters want to murder our children, behead them, burn them, rape them, we fight back. And we're committed to the state of Israel's sacred pledge 
that has guided us ever since we reclaimed our sovereignty in our ancient land, out of the ashes of the Holocaust. The state of Israel will go to the ends of the earth to bring our people home to safety and to bring their tormentors to justice. I pray that this resolute stance is etched into the hearts and psyche of every government leader, every politician, every commander of the IDF and every citizen. Do not cower, do not shrink, do not say we are scared. He of the capital H has our back. Saw this week a puzzle. A puzzle. How many of you of my generation going living in America brought your kids, bought presents at Toys R Us? Remember that? Toys R Us. I think they are also, like so many others, bankrupt. Puzzles. I loved doing puzzles with my children. And you would read the side. My mother, who is Bli Ayanhara, Estream, 94 years old. We do puzzles together when I visit her because while while so much is no longer available to her in terms of her memory, in terms of her skill set, she was a fabulous Scrabble player, this she cannot do anymore. Anyway, but we play puzzles together. And a soldier recently... Um, going through a home in Gaza, found the children's room, and there was playpens filled with toys. Didn't look so different than the playpens and the toy boxes of the homes that we, listening into this show, have lovingly created for our own children. And he found a puzzle. And it was a puzzle of the map of Israel. My children had puzzles of the map of Israel. On an hour map, we had little pictures of the 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 chalutzim, the the farmers, the pioneers digging up the trees and the ground and the land. We had pictures of the Israeli navy. We had pictures of kibbutzim and olive trees. And in this children's puzzle of the land of Israel were pictures of child soldiers with guns and knives stabbing Israelis, shooting rockets from the water into the land, hanging Jews, clearly defined Jews, from ropes. This is what we are dealing with. So, Savior Talk, when you want to talk about the innocent civilians of Gaza. They brought this on themselves. And the only ones protecting the, quote, innocent, close quote, paren sick of Gaza are we, the holy, moral, and sometimes loving to a fault Jewish army. Apparently, they have actually deployed Hamas, which still is not destroyed, still has rocket capability. Explain this to me. Almost 200 children they have sent to the front lines while the terrorists are still hiding in still undiscovered tunnels and shelters. Israel claims that Hamas has been training these children to join their campaigns of terror, to celebrate the potentiality of death. If you're lucky, kiddo, you get to rest among the angels. Sick, sick puppies. They released photos just, I think it was just yesterday, that show aspiring child soldiers posing alongside terrorists while holding semi-automatic weapons. And manning rocket launchers. I have to I have to jump in here and say, my father of blessed memory did not allow my mother 
to buy us books at book sales and bookstores, any books with talking animals. He was so sensitive to child safety and he truly felt that by desensitizing us to the natural nature of talking foxes and bears and even rabbits that could bite, that we would not understand their role in nature. And he would not let us have books with animals talking and communicating and, and chatting with and behaving in human manners. So sensitive was he. Hamas does not share those same sensitivities. They run summer camps in which children are not learning how to kick a ball, not learning how to make ashtrays out of clay, not learning how to make coasters, not coasters, uh, what do you call trivets for their mother's chilling pots, but instead how to fight against tanks, kidnap soldiers, kill Jews. But of course, what are we doing here? I'm preaching to the choir. So then I ask, should I stop? Should I stop because there's nothing to do about it? Viktor Frankl would say no. We have an obligation to talk about it and talk about it, but to know your stuff. Don't shy away. If you are getting information from holy sites, from sites that are sharing accurate information. Look it up. Just this week, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I did not know the history of Gaza. Seriously, I share with you, I really, there was a point where I thought that all of Gaza was Gush Katif, what we gave back. Finally, self-self, I looked at the map. Gush Katif was a magnificent, a blessed, a Ghanade in a Garden of Eden finger-sized stretch along the land. Why did I even ask the question? Because I kept saying, where did all these buildings come from? We only left 20 years ago. 20 years ago? Yeah. We only left 20 years ago. How did they get all that building? And then I was telling that those buildings were always there. Good morning. Canuck, canuck. Know your stuff. I had to learn. I speak about my father. I speak about him often. I must share this. He davened, he prayed in a very, very small, very, what we used to call an oddball shul. It wasn't the synagogue that all the sophisticates went to. It was very Zionist. The people were not sophisticated. They were primarily poor. And my father, whenever he had an opportunity after davening, they would say, stand, stay a little later. Stanley would like to speak to the congregation and my father would get up there and he would share stories of the unfolding events in Eretz Israel and unfolding anti-Semitism around the world. I have to tell you, as a youngster, as a teenager, I was frequently embarrassed. My father was laughed at. He was laughed at a lot. He was mocked. Oh, here he is. Mr. Doom, Mr. Gloom is coming forward. But he knew his stuff. There was no internet and he was obsessed. He read everything. And all of his forewarnings, his forewarnings about America, his forewarnings about the international community, his forewarnings about our non-Jewish neighbors all came to be true. He was a devout student of Jewish history and an obsessed admirer of Jabotinsky. And my father, even though we cringed, he ignored his detractors. He wiped the dust of mockery off of his shoulders and continued to educate himself. And despite our running for the next Friday night football game or going out clubbing and intermingling and knowing that we would be in America and safe and protected forever, 
He left a legacy. He left a legacy of children and grandchildren who would grow to live in and defend the land of Israel. So know your stuff. Don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. Know your stuff. Strut your stuff. And please, don't be silenced. Regardless of however futile it might feel from day to day. Today's hero. Today's hero. We have, let's see, we have uh, Nigeria listening in. We occasionally have Uganda. I don't know where Uganda is today. South Africa is not with us this morning. If I'm wrong, let me know. Our hero today is the Reverend Dennis Nithumbi. Please correct me, Reverend Thumbi, if I am saying this this incorrectly. But here you have a holy Christian warrior who is bucking the tide, is not falling prey to the mindset of those who have indeed infected so much of African thought and African society. Reverend Thumbi says that the war against Hamas has exposed the decay in the UN and its moral rot that has led to the molestation of its statues. Here, here, Reverend Reverend Thumbi. Let's see. The Thumbi, he is the director of the Israel Allies Foundation, and. Um, Let's see. He was he was uh, crucial in securing Israel's position as an observer to the state of the African Union in 2021. He is someone we are going to follow. And he recently just recently was in Israel on a solidarity mission with top representatives of the Africa Israel Initiative. And during that visit, he traveled to the south to see the sites of the October 7th massacres and he met with the Knesset meters. You know what? I don't have to go on and on with what's going on with that dim-witted government of South Africa raising its hand against the only moral country in the Middle East. Today, I think today it's in The Hague. They're suing us. We have holy, holy individuals like Reverend Numbi, who says Israel is possibly the last standing beacon of hope among its peers. And my latest solidarity trip to Israel confirmed Israel's posture as the defender of life, light, and truth. My friends, Reverend Nathumbi is not frightened, and neither should you be. Okay, I'm very careful. You see how careful I am when I'm speaking about South Africa? South Africa is my second home. My husband's South African. I have South African grand, I have grandchildren, Israeli grandchildren, who are South African citizens, sons-in-law. Need I go on? The children of South Africa, I read today, there was an article, I don't know where this was from, could it have been the forward? I don't have it, I'll have to look it up. But anyway, 80% of those who are remaining are planning on leaving South Africa. It was a glorious community, I'm telling you, I am telling you, it was a brilliant, rich, rooted, robust Primarily 99.999% Lithuanian Bamakor community dating back to the uh, early 19th century. And what has happened? They're leaving. There's no future. I've been asked during my last trip, did I myself experience any anti-Semitism in South Africa? And I must confess, no, I didn't go out. I went to shul. I went to I prayed in synagogue two two Sabbaths in a week. And maybe I'm getting used to it. Maybe I'm getting used to being electrically, you know, the electric monitor and make sure I'm not carrying a bomb. I had to present my passport. I had to pre-register. 
Is that experiencing anti-Semitism? I don't know. Maybe I've become immune. Once while driving in downtown Johannesburg, something that I've only done twice before, I did see on a wall a free Palestine from genocide. I don't know. Didn't feel that uh, frightening. But I cannot understand. I cannot wrap my head around those who will not take, take, grab, grasp the moral gold ring and throw all caution into the arena and trust in God and come home to Israel. The old excuse of our money will be worth nothing there. We will have nothing. We can't afford to go. Do you hear yourselves? So many who are uttering these words in front of children and grandchildren who are looking to you to be the hero, to be the embodiment of Amuna Shalema, complete faith in God's benevolence, are instead witnessing the worst kind of cowardice and even more so, idol worship. Yes, Avodah Zarah, putting your faith in anything but the one God of the Jews. I know so many South Africans here in Israel that are living modest lives, lives that are so materially materially pale as compared to the flesh pots of Johannesburg and Pretoria and Cape Town. And their lives are rich. And the message that their lives and their decisions have bequeathed their children cannot your rationale for staying there is anemic it's worse than the physical danger you face every day the spiritual danger I don't have nevuah I do because I'm a woman. A nevuah is the gift of prophecy. I'm a Jewish woman, so I have a little more than others, but not much. When you say that Israel is okay for others, but not for you, what you are doing is telling our enemies that they are right. It is not ours. And if you haven't shut your computer by now, just know you will hear it again and again. So I'll send you. I don't have to send you articles on South Africa. We, we know what's going on there. Okay. Let's watch the clock here. Oh, my. All right. Since we're letting it all hang out today, um, Another thing, which I just found staggering, staggering, shall remain nameless. I am on several U.S. Facebook groups, primarily because of goods and services, things that I like to sell uh, as we are winding down, as we are, you know, emptying out my mother's house and um, came across something out of the five towns. (sighs) 
Kosher World Adventures is sponsoring a kosher cultural tour of Japan, March 4th to 14th this year. I'm trying not to cry. I'm trying not to cry. I'm thinking about my son. I'm thinking about his friends. I'm thinking about my friend Tamar's children and Phyllis's kids and Barbara's grandsons, four of them. I'm thinking about three female clients of mine whose jobs are to arrange the Shiva homes. Will they be able to join the tour on March 4th to 14th? We are in the fight of our lives. No, not just our lives. If you are Jewish and listening to this show from overseas, we are in the fight for your lives. Because you will come home. If not you physically, your children, your grandchildren, those who please God remain Jewish. And while our boys on a day like today are laying in the muck and mire of Gaza, of the West Bank, laying in Tulkarum, Balata, the south of Lebanon, 80,000 holy Jews have been evacuated from their homes in Metula and in um, Kiryat Shmona. In Achziv, need I go on? But you will have sushi making, calligraphy workshops, miragisha, but most important, make sure that everything you're putting in your mouth is super duper glot kosher. And while we here watching the land with plenty of opportunities for you to come and make your mark, even if you can't leave Cedarhurst at this time because of myriad reasons, you can come from March 4th to 14th. Pick fruit. Work in Sharet Tzedek hospitals to, to lighten the load of nurses who are needed in other divisions now. I'll give you the early bird price that they're giving you of 5490 American dollars per person. For shame. For shame. I pray, I pray that this campaign for this tour, and I'm sure there are others, I'm using this one as an example, I pray it is a dismal failure and someone gets woke and sees the face of our, the faces of our children and our citizenry, citizenry looking to you and asking you to step up to the proverbial plate. Yeah, it's rough here, rough here these days. I wanna go away. I do want to go away. I would like to go on vacation. I'd like to, I'm not interested in Japan per se. There's places I'd like to go. This is not a time to leave. If the day is warm enough and there are days you could sit on the beach in Herzliya. Here, somebody wrote, wrote on Facebook, I need to get away for a day from the sadness, from the weight. We understand. And all of these loving suggestions came out. Volunteer Farm, 
Someone came back from a shorter day trip to the Dead Sea. We all needed a break. There's garden tours. There's restaurants in the forests. There are river walks. There's a lot to do here. They even have foraging classes. But my God, have you no shame? $6,000 per person, March 4 to 14 or something like that. While Jews are dying. And we're holding it for you. Okay. Not that I have an opinion. Here we go. Oh, Egypt has joined us. Good morning, Egypt. Yeah, it's kind of overcast here. Wonder by you. All right. Let's see. Let's go. All right. This week. Oh, my gosh. Parsha Vayera. Paro and Egypt. Paro and Egypt. They sustain a slew of plagues. They are really being beset upon. And they. this is what vividly recorded in this week's Torah portion. Now, remember, when we talk about the Devar Torah, when we talk these words of Torah, it's not separate from what's going on in the world. And for those of us with deeper insight than others, I hope some of you have more insight than me, because I'm constantly getting like knocks on the head and saying, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, there's a parallel, a parallel. But stay tuned in. There are those in the Egyptian leadership who are kind of wavering, and they realize that Egypt is lost if it does not allow the Jews to be freed from slavery and to leave Egypt. But I promise you, this is not a popular, a popular mindset, and they are not shouting this from the rooftops, okay? Paro is not convinced. His heart becomes hardened. But he is, he, he, he is just basically... Must refuse the requests of Moshe. So, what does the Torah Talmud teach us? It teaches us that even when standing at the gates of hell, wicked people will remain unrepentant. It takes a huge human being to say, I was wrong. I'm changing my mindset. This was the most important thing to me in my life, and I realized I was wrong. Terrible challenges. Okay? Ego. Ego is the biggest manipulator that we live with. It gets in the way of our sense of what's right and wrong. It stops us from dealing wisely. My gosh. Entire civilizations have been destroyed because of the inability to say, I think I might be wrong. Power? brings with it an exploding ego. Peril cannot change course because doing so would be, he thinks, reflect very badly on him, weaken his perceived power base, his strength, his power, is really his ultimate weakness. He can't admit, I may have gotten this one wrong. And so consequently, he's actually a victim. He's a victim to his power. Even his own advisors are beginning to admit their errors and they're changing their course. But not Paro. He gets rid of them. The more arrogant and prideful a person is, the less likely, according to Rabbi Wine, it is that he or she will allow reality to alter Perceived ideas and policies. Paro is enveloped in a web of his own making. You know, um, juxtaposed. Right, when I say Paro, understand that I'm talking about Pharaoh. But we're all becoming bilingual here. Paro is Pharaoh. Just the way Yitro is Jethro. I have never heard an observant Jew use the term, use the name Jethro. All right. The Torah records for us um, over and over again situations where Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, he admits error and he reverses decisions that he had previously um, put into place. His humility is legendary. His sense of real 
and judiciousness of circumstances and wanting good for the Jewish people is the hallmark of his brilliant leadership for the next 40 years. You know, once ego is kind of squelched and dealt with, suddenly paths are opened to great personal growth, concern for the welfare of others. Um, contrast this with Paro's adamance, his stubbornness, his blindness. You know, it does sound, we've all heard that, heard that term, I think it may be a Christian source, so forgive me, but it's the, the meek will inherit the earth. But it's, it's Torah. The meek and modest in the long run will always triumph over the arrogant and the prideful. It may not be today. It may not fulfill our immediate need to see the end of the story. Ah, if only. We should all learn from Paro's faulty personality and behavior. And we should all certainly, at our worst, at least attempt to imitate the character and the nobility of that trait of modesty and humility that was exhibited by the greatest teacher of all time, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses. Um, all right, I don't have time today to talk. We talked to little Rabbi, Rabbi Sachs earlier. Um, I encourage anybody who cannot get their hands on Rabbi Sachs's this week's uh, Torah, Devar Torah, drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I will send it to you. Okay, we can't cover that today because I have some notes that I really do want to share with you about this week's Parsha, uh, this week's Torah portion. Um, it's starting. B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel. We're beginning the process of our eventual salvation from Egypt. It's here. We're going to read about it this week in the Torah. That road to salvation is very difficult because our Redeemer, Moshe, he has to deal not only with the stubbornness of Paro, but also with the worn down faith of the Jewish people. You know, after Moshe and Aaron, his brother Aaron, first performed their miracles before Paro, they kicked out of the court in anger. And at the command of God, Moshe returns to try again. Can that have been easy? The Torah states, and Moshe spoke to B'nai Yisrael, but they would not listen due to the pressure of their hard labor. So Hashem says to Moshe, come and speak to Paro, king of Egypt, that he should send B'nai Yisrael out of his land. Oh boy. Moshe replies, behold, if B'nai Yisrael will not listen to me, then how will Paro, with my halting speech? We know, we know that Moshe had a speech impediment. This last statement, according to Rashi, is very, very puzzling. I mean, you know, what kind of statement, what kind of argument is this? Um, as the, um, you know, as the motives for the refusal of both the Jews, their hard labor and dried up hopes, the possible refusal of Paro, belief in his own more powerful gods to listen, the words of Hashem are so different. The refusal of the Israelites had little to do, had almost nothing to do with the possible rejection by the king of Egypt. They weren't saying, don't do it because the king won't allow it. In a book called um, Ahavat Zion, The Love of Zion, Rabbi Ezekiel Landau, he points out that the reasoning for the stubbornness of the Jewish people is so hard for us to comprehend I mean, we have trouble with it today. Generally, a nation in bondage, you would think, would look for any slight hope of salvation. We certainly know that in recent American history, 
the slave, the slave years. So many instances of religious fervor looking for that glimmer of redemption. So why were the Jews so hesitant? And, and even more strange is the fact that the Jews, um, they originally did listen to Moshe and Aaron. They were the beacons of light. So despite the evidence of the divine miracles, of the staff, of the blood, and the leprosy, suddenly they no longer have faith. We have to understand right here the nature of Paro's disbelief in these aforementioned miracles. Paro witnessed them, and yet he was still unmoved. How, how could he be so stubborn? So according to Rabbi Dessler, um, Paro and the Egyptians worshipped Avodazara. We mentioned it before. Idolatry. So idolatry is a kind of a partial answer to man's quest for the secrets of the universe. You know, as opposed to believing in a supreme being that can never be felt, cannot be seen, cannot be heard. Most nations, and I would even venture to say even the nations today, they solve their dilemma by simply producing an idol or assigning divination to a heavenly body. We know. We do it. We do it with palm reading. We do it with fortune telling. We do it with the daily horoscope. Thus, the Egyptians, they were able to provide themselves with easy answers. With the major answers of life then provided, man now has a rationalization for any and all occurrences. The Rambam says that um, idol worship of Odizara was said to have begun in the generation of Enosh. They gave the forces of nature, of nature they, a certain, um, what's a good word, reverence. I think reverence is good, as like agents of the Almighty. Because, I mean, after all, how could one God do all of this? Later on, the agents were viewed as divine beings who serve this all-powerful ruler. Finally, the ruler becomes forgotten. And the people accorded power to what they worshipped and what they could see. So now we understand how Paro could somehow have explained to himself how the miracles of his magicians were less powerful than those of Aaron and Moshe. He simply assumed that his Avodazara probably disliked the magicians or found error with Paro himself. He blocked out all other possibilities of a different reality. What is that reality? The nature of God. You know, with this knowledge, we can understand Am Yisrael's problems with Moshe, the people of Israel. Sforno says that due to their hard labor, the Jewish people could not allow themselves to contemplate spiritual and fundamental ideas. They were too tired to be lofty. They couldn't allow themselves to um, absorb the experience of new miracles and understand the way of God. After Moshe's first visit, what happens? Their work was increased. This became all they could think about and all they could look forward to. Moshe was the source of their frustration. And due to their hard labor, due to this horrible work, this blinding toil, they really didn't want to listen to him because they couldn't see past nor understand anything beyond their immediate existence. How can Paro's refusal to listen to the words of God be understood as a good certainty once the Jews themselves refused to listen to them? If the Jewish people who originally had imperfect faith refused to heed the words of Moshe, one can't expect a person whose only faith rests in himself and iron figurines to believe in the wonders of a true God. Please, my friends, do not let those who do not care about you Decide your narrative, 
You have the source. Yeah, there are difficulties and complexities in the Jewish faith. But he's got our back. Shabbat Shalom, Umivorach from Jerusalem. <laughs>